As this podcast is going out, we are only days removed from the truly horrific events of January 6, 2021, when white nationalist insurrectionists stormed the nation's capital and assaulted the House of Congress. These are scary times, folks, and if you're a listener living in Washington, D.C., or you know someone in the Capitol, we hope that you and your loved ones are safe, and we hope that this podcast can, in whatever small way, provide some entertainment and some measure of um, joy in these troubling times. We all knew that 2021 wasn't magically going to be better than 2020, but... I don't think any of us knew it was going to be like this, this fast. So again, all I can really say is stay safe and take care of yourself and enjoy the show. journey into mystery to bring you tales to astonish about the greatest group of superheroes you've never heard of. I'm Zach. And I'm Peter. And today we bring you Defenders number 112 from October 1982. Happy New Year, everybody! Happy New Year! And what a way to start things off with this, uh, this delightful issue. <laughs> mm-hmm. Brought to you by J.M. DeMatteis on writing, Don Perlin on pencils, Mike Gustavich on inks, Shelley Lieferman on letters, George Russos on colors, Al Milgram on editing, and Jim Shooter on editing in chief. We're really in the era now, folks. Yeah, although I will say that, you know, there are a lot of comics from Shooter's tenure as editor in chief that I do like a lot, and I do think it's worth noting that he did kind of turn Marvel around when they were not in a good place due to a decade of having a new editor every other week. And it was just that once he got Marvel in ship shape again, that was when he got a little, uh... He got a little Dennis-y? Yeah. Once he started fixing something, he couldn't stop fixing it. And that was what led to stuff like the new universe. And then there was the absolute insanity of Secret Wars 2. All jokes aside, I don't want it to seem like I think that Jim Shooter was a net negative to the comic book industry, or that if you somehow remove Jim Shooter from history, everything in the world would be so much better, and everything from 2016 to 2020 wouldn't have happened, or anything ridiculous like that. It's hard to, when you see Jim Shooter's name, not think of all the things that are not so great that will follow. It's like a, it's like a specter hanging over the proceedings. Like the Hulk issue he wrote. Yeah. 
like that. Before we go any further, I once again have to give a shout out to uh, the Marvel Atlas Project for helping us out again when I was a little lax on my research. Firstly, the cover of Avengers number 148 wasn't drawn in the style of Jack Kirby. It was literally drawn by Jack Kirby. And the Rocket Central does not, in fact, predate the Justice League satellite. The JLA satellite was created by Denny O'Neill in 1970, six years prior. I was thinking of the JLA watchtower on the moon. That's how I suckered myself into thinking Rocket Central came first. And the title of this issue is... Strange Visitor from Another Planet. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I see what you did there. And we open with the Defenders having a party. Beast, Valkyrie, Silver Surfer, Scarlet Witch, Vision. And as for our strange orange and purple friend with the tiny wings, his name is Gargoyle, but everyone calls him Isaac Christians. The man was a World War I veteran who became mayor of a town that was founded by his father and used occult magics to save it from economic ruin. Well, I guess that's one way to do it. He essentially sold his soul to the Six-Fingered Hand, a band of demons, in return for protecting his town from potential horrible fates. While he was under the control of the Six-Fingered Hand, they asked him to attack the Defenders and their member Hellcat, but Isaac refused their command and turned on them and joined not long after that. So that's neat. Yeah, the first thing I noticed about this party is that Valkyrie is cutting a ham with her sword, and that does not seem sanitary because, you know, she stabs things and people with that sword. Well, I imagine she cleans it. I certainly hope she does. Yeah. Speaking of Valkyrie, she's gone through quite a few changes of her own. As she explains, she's been reunited with her original immortal form, and you can now call her Brunhild because that's her actual name. And she remembers that that's her name, and she just she just seems to be happier in general. There's constant mentions of her laughing and smiling and picking people up off the ground to hug them. It's wonderful. Yeah, she's she's not having a constant identity crisis anymore so that's nice and what's also nice is just there's basically everything going on in this early part of the issue the defenders remind me a lot of the, of the avengers at this point they're friends hanging out they got a big house they have an elderly caretaker that runs the house all the usual hits they even have some former avengers members on the team yeah it's all just very fun and isaac proposes a toast to the late nighthawk yeah folks Nighthawk's dead again. As to what killed him, oh boy, the life and times of Kyle Richmond have been very complicated since giant-sized defenders. And researching his fate instead of just throwing up my hands and going, didn't happen to the squadron, didn't happen at all, has led me to think I should probably read the old school Defenders comics. Because, holy shit, so much stuff happened. Suffice it to say... They are bonkers. Yeah. Kyle sacrificed himself to kill a group of dangerous psychics that we're trying to cause World War Three. As you do. That's so much cooler than just four street-level bozos. I'm not hugging you. Like, I love Daredevil and Luke Cage and Jessica Jones and not Netflix Iron Fist. But the actual comics Defenders is so much more interesting than just four people that don't like each other and none of them can afford a taxi. Yeah, the Defenders in the comics are just weird as shit and it's great probably because steve gerber co-created them and steve gerber had a very long run on them i feel like that those are the two big comics steves of the 70s yeah also something else i noticed is that valkyrie i don't know if this was always the case i didn't notice before or if it's a new thing related to her no longer going through an identity crisis valkyrie is gigantic she's a head taller than everyone else in the party and i like that for reasons Oh yeah, more giant women in comics. 
Absolutely. Ooh, giant, muscly women in comics. So after Isaac makes his toast, everyone realizes, hey, wait a second, Doctor Strange is missing. I, I love that it took them until now to remember that. Before, they were just having a nice time at this party, and you don't want to think about Doctor Strange when you're having a nice time at a party. Yeah, everyone's so involved with their shenanigans, they forgot about Doctor Strange, who's apparently gone off to another dimension in search of Namor the Hulk and Damon Hellstrom. Damon Hellstrom, a.k.a. the Son of Satan. That's his name. Don't let people fool you. Satan exists in the Marvel Universe. Well, his technically, son- his father is an amalgamation of the various Satan figures in Marvel. Because Marvel has a ton of Satans. Like, you've got Satanish and Mephisto and uh, some other guys. And they all basically just melded together to bang Damon's mom. I guess that's one way to do it. So, there's, a, there's an attempt, at least by Beast, to say... Hey, don't worry about it. If Doctor Strange were actually in trouble, he would let us know. But Isaac has already called the Sanctum Sanctorum, and Wong hasn't seen Doctor Strange in in days, and he is upset at Doctor Strange's absence. I mean, is he that upset? I mean, Doctor Strange does not have a history of treating Wong the best. Still, it'd be nice to have someone to hang out with, even when your options are as limited as Stevie Strange. And and presumably Steve does pay him something, I hope. Yeah, presumably. So the ever-dramatic Silver Surfer hops onto his surfboard and strikes a pose, saying, We need to go find Doctor Strange right now. But it's pointed out to him, Hey, if Doctor Strange is in another plane of existence, it's going to be hard to track him down. Fortunately, no sooner do we say that than Stevie Strange pulls a fucking Zordon on everybody, and his giant floating head fills the room. Oh yeah, because if you mention Doctor Strange, he's going to show up. And he's going to do it in the most dramatic way possible. I really like how Don Perlin draws cheekbones. Like, pretty much everyone in this issue has some really nice cheekbones, you know. And they're all pretty distinct cheekbones, too. Like, Valkyrie and Scarlet Witch and Doctor Strange and Beast all have different looking but very pronounced cheekbones. And I think that's neat. How he draws people's jaws. Anytime you, you get a close-up of Beast, he has a giant square jawline, and that's very funny to me for some reason. Doctor Strange appears in the room. It appears to be under some great strain while he tells everyone, hey, I need your help. There is a threat to the very safety of the world. And before anybody can say anything else, Doctor Strange again pulls a Zordon and teleports everyone to his location. You misunderstand, Norrin Rad. I mentioned a great danger to the world, but I did not say, what world? Ah, he's very cheeky. Yeah, in the other world where they meet up with Doctor Strange and Bruce Banner, who is only wearing a pair of purple jorts. Yep. They're also joined by another familiar face. None other than Nighthawk. It's Nighthawk, in a costume way more evil-looking than anything he wore when he was an actual supervillain. Yeah, dude, what the hell? I mean, I think it's a neat-looking costume. Uh, It's this full black bodysuit with a golden mask around the face, and his mouth is covered. And he has this big gold bird symbol on his chest that connects to his belt and giant red and gold wings that connect to the chest symbol. And it looks really cool, but also it looks super evil. Maybe it's the red eyes that he also has. It's the red eyes. It's how pointy the golden parts of the mask are. He looks very menacing. But also, I I figure you like this costume because it has the beak back. Yes, it does. So what's funny about this to me is that, you know, Valkyrie, at first she just sees Bruce Banner, and she's very happy to see Bruce, 
and she literally picks him up off the ground to give him a hug. But then as soon as she sees Nighthawk, she just she just throws Bruce out of the way. It's great. I love her. Yeah. She's so damn happy. It's delightful. Like, yeah, it turns out Kyle isn't dead. I mean, you know, we don't like Kyle very much, but... Clearly they do. You know, do. he was her friend and teammate, even if he did sexually harass her a whole bunch. So, yeah. you know, I guess she would have somewhat more positive feelings towards him, aside from the sexual harassment. Because in comics in the 1970s, sexual harassment was just a fun, quirky thing that men did. Yeah, it was it was a form of flirting, and I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to go too far down that path, because we'll have more to say about um, sexism later in the episode. Uh, we're then shown that, that Namor and Damon Hellstrom are also here. And they're standing over the bed of a bed-sick and weary Hyperion! <laughs> Having had a poor interaction with a Hyperion in the past, Brunhild's first instinct is to murder this bedridden man, which, uh, <laughs> pretty hardcore, not gonna lie. Well, I mean, she is a Valkyrie, and my understanding of Valkyries is that they don't like people dying of illness, because then they can't bring their souls to the afterlife to fight when Ragnarok comes. Right. I might be misremembering that a little, because it's been a while since I brushed up on my Nordic myth. I don't think Valkyrie is particularly interested in bringing Hyperion to Valhalla, let's be honest. Good point. Good point. But thankfully, Vision and Wanda are able to convince her not to kill a man in cold blood, and we get a flashback explaining that this is the Hyperion of the Squadron Supreme Earth. We also see Nelson Rockefeller with his serpent crown again, which looks even more like a child's birthday party balloon hat than before. Yeah. Bless you, Don Perlin. Hyperion isn't particularly interested in this exposition, because as soon as Beast is done, he gets out of bed to try to get back into action. It's a nice, subtle way of showing just how strong Hyperion is, because even in his condition, he's able to toss Namor and Damon Hellstrom aside like they're basically nothing when they try to restrain him, before he collapses immediately again. Took a lot out of him. Yeah. Also, Namor's... Being nice, or trying to be nice. He doesn't actively insult Hyperion while trying to help him. Yeah, he's being a sweetie. For Namor. Yeah, everything's relative. While Hyperion is passed out, we've, we discover that we are on the Squadron Supreme's other Earth, and we're brought up to speed on what's happened to Hyperion's world through what is called a holotape. The characters call it a holotape, but the narration still calls it a cassette. So that's kind of funny. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the 80s. Before Hyperion can get too far into his narration, we see in the sky above Other Earth a cosmic constellation forming into the face of a woman named Mindy. And we see another man of Other Earth, August Freeman, being chased in a firefight as he steps headlong into an American nightmare. Also, they both have bitchin' cheekbones. Yes, they do. So when we get back to Hyperion and his story, it looks like the Squadron didn't learn all that fucking much. Because even after everything that happened from Avengers 141 to 148, Squadron Supreme Nighthawk left the Defenders and joined Nelson Rockefeller's cabinet. Motherfuck, dude! What, what, what did you learn last time? This means that Nelson Rockefeller was still the president even after the Squadron Supreme, the world's greatest superheroes, went on national television to tell them how much Nelson Rockefeller sucked! I mean, I, I guess it's kind of realistic that he would, wouldn't face any consequences for wearing an evil serpent hat and using it to influence people, but damn, it's depressing. 
Oh, it gets worse. So after Nighthawk becomes a member of Nelson Rockefeller's cabinet, Kyle Richmond goes on to become president of the United States and working with this gigantic, obviously evil, dark side looking motherfucker calling himself the Overmind. Damn it, Kyle! <sighs> so President Richmond says that the CIA and the FBI found a plot within the American people to overthrow the government and... And... God fucking damn it! I am so sick of how time is a flat goddamn circle and these old-ass comics keep being relevant because now we're learning that the National Guard started arresting people on the street for no goddamn reason! Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Anyway. On the bright side, we get some new members of the squadron. Yeah. To stop me from getting too angry, we get a big splash panel on the Rocket Central where we see the whole big squadron supreme including new members like Arcana and Nuke. I like Arcana because she seems to be both Scarlet Witch and Zatanna. She's got yeah. fishnets on her arms and legs, and she's got a little wimble. Yeah, and she's got a cape, much yeah. like much like Bronze Age Zatanna. Like, you, you, you remember the look Zatanna had where she had the cape and the jewel on her forehead? Oh, yeah. So Arcana is Zatanna, obviously, and Nuke is Firestorm, minus Professor Stein. Like, he's basically just Ronnie Raymond. He's a teenager, he's got uh, nuclear powers, but there's no Martin Stein in his brain to, like, help him out. Yeah. He, he's Firestorm, and as we'll learn in the... And, and, and as we'll learn in the Squadron Maxi series, he's a little bit of Captain Adam for depressing reasons. He's also a country boy, and I like it whenever, like, Southern and Midwestern superheroes have powers and identities that aren't cowboy man or person with gun <laughs> but more importantly we also finally get power princess it only took 13 goddamn years but the wonder woman equivalent is here and her symbol is a fist inside of a woman's symbol which is amazing to me yeah i love it, it it's it's very on the nose you know, as, as we often say, I've known authors that use subtext, and they were all cowards. Yeah, and she's also got a helmet with a headpin on it, kind of like a Al Pratt's second costume. She's also the tallest character in the scene. She's even taller than Hyperion. The only person that's taller is Cap'n Hawk, who seems to only be taller because he's standing on something. Yeah, he's not flying or anything, he's just standing on something in the background. It he's almost great. looks like he's standing on Amphibian's shoulders. Oh man, that would be great. And there's two reasons for this, I think. There's the doilist reason of he had to be able to fit in the shot somehow, and that means he had to stand on something. And the Watsonian reason, where he saw that Power Princess was taller than him, got mad, and decided to stand on something so he could be taller. I think both explanations make perfect sense. They do to me. Also, Doc Spectrum's got his green pants back. He's got green gloves. Hooray! He's got more colors going on. And that's the end of the good news, I'm afraid. Because President Richmond and the Overmind, well, remind you again, is so very obviously evil, have been teleported up onto Rocket Central. Because I guess, finally, when you start arresting people in the streets, that's enough for the Justice League to say, alright, that's enough, we have to have a talk. I also want to give an aside to Perlin and Gustavich and Russo's, because they do an amazing job with facial expressions pulled together. Particularly Squadron Supreme Kyle Richmond. Like, every expression he makes is just the sleaziest, most evil thing I've ever seen. 
He's such a piece of shit. Oh, yeah. On page 12, in the second panel, he's got this lazy grin on his face, and his eyes are uh, kind of blacked out, like, shadowed over. Oh. And he just looks extremely sleazy and extremely evil, and it's great. Yeah. You want to talk about sleazy. Like, the face he makes kissing Lady Lark's hand at the top of one uh, page 13 is even worse. Yeah. Especially because the perspective is slightly weird. It, it looks like he doesn't have an arm. And that, and that is the panel where he explains to the squadron that there is no proof or conspiracy about American subversives that are a danger to democracy. He's just been kidnapping people off the streets for the fuck of it. Yeah, and as he explains, eons ago, a savage race called the Eternals tried to conquer a universe and failed. Faced with obliteration at their enemy's hands, they fed the collected brainpower of their entire race into one man and sent him out to ravage the cosmos in their name. That man was the Overmind, and he and I are one. The Overmind has mentally absorbed all opposition, converted them to his cause, made them slaves to his will. And before you get confused, dear listener, the 712 Eternals, I'm guessing, are not the same race as the 616 Eternals, or the Eternals that are going to have their own movie uh, eventually, when it's safe to have movie theaters again. Which we know from this helpful little editor's note. So again, telling people that you're explicitly evil is the breaking point for the centrist supreme, and they spring into action to try and beat up the Overmind. From beyond the stars shall come the Overmind, and he shall crush the universe! And then he kicks all the squadron's asses. Basically, everyone is taken out in one hit, including... including Power Princess. Like, I actually really liked that scene, uh, because it's just hilarious. Like, she declares that she's going to kick his ass, and he's not facing an ordinary woman now, right Right as she's hitting him, and he's just standing there, completely impervious to the damage, and then he dunks her on the head, and she goes down, like a sack of potatoes. He kicked everyone's asses, so it's not like she's the only one to get taken out. On the one hand... Yeah, I can agree. It doesn't seem as bad when you when you think about the fact that everyone got their asses kicked. Speaking of, I love that when he hits Arcana and Doc Spectrum, the, the sound effect is a whammo. Oh yeah, there are lots of great sound effects. Nuke attacks him with a womb, and then he takes Nuke out with a shoom. Yeah, so uh, kudos to letterer Shelley Lepperman. They look great. I guess my big issue with how uh, Power Princess is taken out is... She's the only one that gets to have a speech, and I don't know, it's just something about the, like what she's saying, followed up by how easily Overmind takes her out, and then the very sarcastic little Hyperion narration box of so much for rhetoric. It, it all kind of percolates together to piss me off, and, and a reason yeah. I can't really explain. It's just... Yeah, that, that's fair. And, and it feels really weird that the thing that, at least to me is the most sexist thing that's happened in our run on the podcast so far, has happened to the Wonder Woman stand-in. Well, I mean, if there's one thing we can say about Wonder Woman, it's that she's been written by way too many dudes, and many of them probably have some unresolved issues with women. So I guess that's... I mean, it's not fair, but I guess it's an accurate observation. Yeah. Uh, on a lighter note, speaking of great sound effects, when, <laughs> when the Overmind punches the wizard, the sound effect is, but. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's why, great. Why is, that, why is that noise? Yeah. On the same page, we get Lady Lark's sonic screaming, Overmind and Kyle, 
while she's yelling, shut up, Kyle, just shut up. <laughs> it is treated like design wise, like, like more of a regular canary cry sort of scream, which I am a little disappointed in, but I guess it's not everyone can draw like George Perez. Yeah. So Hyperion is left standing alone, and he swears in his narration that he totally could have kicked the Overmind's ass. But then, in his creepiest face yet, Kyle Richman pulls out a chain of Argonite. Oh yeah, and his face has just so many lines on it, and he just looks incredibly evil. It's great. It might be the eyebrows that have an effect on that too, because they look like Vulcan eyebrows. Even Norman Osborn would be would be jealous of how evil he looks. Perlin Gustavich and Rusos uh, again do a, a great job with exp- with capturing expressions because for the whole rest of the issue, just Hyperion's exhaustion and desperation and weariness, they're all captured really well. He's sort of racing against time and fighting this impossible uphill battle. And for a guy who's pretty much, for pretty much all the time that we've seen him, has felt and acted more or less invincible, seeing how downtrodden and beaten down he is really effectively establishes the stakes and the level of threat um, that the Overmind and, and Nighthawk represent. Oh, yeah. Hyperion just manages to escape before the Argonite kills him and gets back down to Earth. And when he gets back... The people all hate him now, because it's been reported that he's actually a foreign spy. Yeah. He talks about how, like, all all the good things he's done for America and for the world, how he's this beloved symbol is, that's basically synonymous with the United States himself. And now, because of the machinations of the government, he's seen as a communist and a traitor, and has the, and the American people that loved him two days ago are now baying for his blood. And, no, I, I don't see how that's relevant at all. Yep. And things go from bad to worse for Hyperion, because he flies away and tries to go to his Tower of Isolation, but it's literally been bombed into gravel, because the Overmind has access to his best friend, who knows literally everything about him. And things just keep getting worse, because as Hyperion is trying to escape and formulate his next move, these very quickly manufactured satellites have have gone up into the sky, and are now bathing the Earth in Argonite radiation, and Hyperion is forced to tear apart the Rocket Central to use their lead-lined shielding to protect himself. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I know that Argonite radiation is specifically his weakness, but I can't imagine that's good for the rest of humanity. Yeah. Just, like, it, any kind of radiation is usually not great in the long term. It's going to be a hard sell in the, um, in, in the primaries to explain to people why bathing them in deadly radiation 24 hours a day is actually good for them. Or, or maybe it'll be an easy sell. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Or, or maybe it won't even matter what the American people say, because shortly after that, President Richmond, along with the Overmind and the mind-controlled Squadron Supreme, have declared war on literally the rest of the human race. Get on the horses! the horses! It's war! Oh, yeah. And we get this great panel of Overmind's head with his super spiky helmet looking over the Squadron Supreme, destroying a tank and some soldiers, and and there's fire everywhere, and the sky is red, and yeah. Yeah. Obviously, apparently, the only superheroes in the world for the Squadron backed by the Overmind and the the pre-existing U.S. military to take over the the world. And we also learn a little bit more about Earth-712, as we discover that apparently the the USSR never became a global superpower, and nobody other than the Americans ever developed the atom bomb. Oh, no. 
Oh, boy. I will say that, like, a last encounter on Other Earth was really only bleak in hindsight. Like, it was bleak to us because of how painfully relevant it was and how little it felt like things had changed. But it was still more or less structured in a way to just feel like the Avenger is going on a somewhat perilous adventure. Just like a, a regular romp. But Hyperion's story, by contrast, it really does capture a sense of bleakness and desperation of this man fighting a hopeless struggle as his whole world falls apart and everything he loves is turned against him. It's, it's genuinely powerful storytelling and it's this sort of crystallization of the very nature of comic book narratives that are changing as we as we move across history yeah uh also i really like that the last page has the assembled defenders floating heads around the last panel it, it reminds me a lot of the you know the covers to like old issues of jla where you'd have the assembled heads of everyone who is in the issue the thing that the defenders are looking terrified at is the fact that Overmind has built a base on the moon, and they're using that base to build an armada of spaceships capable of faster-than-light travel, because now the Overmind plans to conquer the entire universe. Yes. And next issue, we must be here for Moon Madness! Oh, I love that text. Oh, it's so good. Like, the the next is in kind of slightly swoopy letters, and then You Must Be Here For is in just regular font for comic books. And then Moon Madness is in these shaky red and yellow letters. Yeah, they look, they look like they're, they're on red fire. red at the bottom and yellow at the top. Yeah, they look like they're on fire and it looks hella cool. Yeah. Alright. So, uh, unpleasant sexism abound aside, I, I just purely as a story and as the launching point for our next multi-part saga, I, I have to be honest, this issue was fantastic. It gives this great feeling of dread and just a, and, and, and of peril at how our heroes are going to struggle to overcome this incredibly powerful enemy with this, with this superhero army at his back. And yeah, I am super excited for the next issue. Absolutely. I... Even with my problems with, with, with some of the narrative stuff and uh, everything else, I can't, I can't even say that I hate this. This is, this is great, and I, and I am also definitely looking forward to the next episode. And we hope you all are too, when we, when we return to see what exactly is causing this madness on the moon. Oh, yes. Or maybe it's the moon itself that's mad. Oh, I mean, my it's God. possible. Maybe the moon is alive in, on Earth 712. Yes. I mean, wh- why not? We've got living planets in 616. I- I- I'm just imagining the Earth 712 is like all the like claymation or puppetry sort of things of the moon with a face. Those things that are always terrifying. <laughs> so until next time, you can find us on at Squadcast Supreme on Twitter. And you can find us on Facebook under the Squadcast Supreme. We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and CastBox. And you can find me at SonoSharkNado93. And you can find me on Twitter at Peter Volfrank. That's P-E-T-E-R-V-U-L-F-R-A-N-C. So long, squatters. Yeah, and try not to get mind-controlled by an evil alien intelligence. You know, I kind of w- wish that it, that it would be revealed to us that our world governments were being controlled by an evil alien intelligence. I mean... Instead of just, like assholes yeah it it wouldn't be great because we don't have superheroes but it'd be nice to have that excuse you know yeah yeah
Racing faster every minute 